Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. Uh, my next guest today has partially owned another agency. He's on his second round. Uh, he's been in digital marketing, e-commerce marketing for the past decade and a half. That's long enough to be the authority. And today uh, he's the CEO and founder of Blue Tusker. It's a full service Amazon agency. And when he's not working, He's a drummer. He's a touring musician, <laughs> uh, but this was years ago, but he still keeps it alive. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, Andrew Maffetoni. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Oh, same here. So uh, drummer, this is quite a change because, you know, usually drummers are artists, right? Creative mm-hmm. people and touchy-feely kind of situation. And it couldn't get <laughs> any more uh, dry than Amazon work, which is all about numbers and process. And so how do they connect? So I got into e-commerce marketing a little over 15 years ago. Uh, started real small, mostly on like an email marketing side. And my father had acquired a company that he wanted to put online. And so he started doing that. He was actually offered to be one of the first non-book sellers on Amazon. One of my favorite things to make fun of him for is that he turned it down. So it's like hilarious. But so he had that company, they exited it. And I was still in college at the time. And so I was still doing typical stuff. And I'd played the drums for years. And so I joined this band uh, after I'd moved to, I was originally from South Florida. I moved to Central Florida. I joined this band and we actually started doing pretty well. We were getting a lot of traction. We started touring most of the country and stuff. And we played in that area a lot. And each of us had a role outside of our own instrument. And I was the only one with a little bit of experience in internet marketing at the time. And so I took that over. And so I was always helping us with like concert promotions and then venues would hire me every now and then to help with other promotions. So I did a lot from social media and email marketing, a little bit of paid advertising at the time. And so as I started to do that more and more, the venues started asking me to help with stuff, even when we our band wasn't involved. That got annoying after a while because the music industry was horrible and so i kind of got into more on the hospitality side with them where i would help more with like the venues of just the promotion and not dealing with the concert promotion at all and then naturally that slowly kind of progressed into retail which at that time we're still now in like early 2010s right that's when e-commerce started to really do its thing and so all the retailers i worked with wanted to get into e-commerce and I already had a little bit of experience with that. So and so it kind of just got back into that. And then as time went on, I had started an agency, uh, ended up exiting that. Then I joined an agency where I was a partner. We exited that in late 2019. And now I've started Blue Tusker in early 2020. Yeah. So you had a show and you had this internet thing as a sideshow while you had the show, right? <laughs> Usually people, I mean, you, literally you had a show because you were in a band and you, know, you, you had your gigs and then you had this side show on the side to help yeah. people. With exactly. I had always wanted to get into marketing and advertising ever since I was a kid. Um, and then once the band needed, everyone needed to have like their own role. I was like, oh, I can do this because I've already done it enough. I can figure it out. And so I took it over. And I got so good at it that people started hiring me to help them with their uh, other bands would hire me to help them promote venues would hire me to help them with shows coming in town and stuff. Um, And so it just kind of grew from that. And then as time went on, I just the music industry is a nightmare. So I would separate myself from the music side and just help with the venue side that then kind of pivoted into retail, which naturally progressed back into e-commerce. So I was I would say I was really out of the past. 15 plus years I've been in e-commerce. I was out of it for like two or three, but I was still focused on the retail side. So it really, at that time, e-commerce wasn't as big. Yeah. Well, so 
for those who are listening who uh, are in a band there is hope for you still to <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay so um, we we picked a, a, a very good subject today to get into with you and you've been doing this long enough and you've got your own methodology so you're going to share with us and it's all about external traffic mm-hmm. which is a big deal because it rewards in many ways but there you you just cannot start driving external traffic without putting some thought uh, into it so today we're going to cover all about handling external traffic how to drive it what should be a winning strategy some some winning strategies you'll share with us how to measure it how to structure it so uh, those listening you want to stay focused because we're going to cover all aspects of this this business so uh, with that let's start so let's say that i'm a seller and and i'm going to launch my product and then let's say that i have these days everybody has some kind of social media presence but let's assume that it's not that significant so where do i start with external traffic efforts what kind of product do you have uh you want me to give you a politician's answer <laughs> so well the so the reason i ask right there's consumer different ways product, of course consumer product yeah, yeah, yeah. not businesses so, so the the thing you always want to ask yourself is who is my target customer how are they feeling when they're ready to buy this product and then where are they at that time right so you got to think about as well as is your does your product require a lot of education or is it something that everyone knows exists if they know it exists they're actively looking for it so they have a problem they're aware of the solution which is your product so they're actively looking for it if that's the case search engine like search engine marketing uh you know google ads bing ads that kind of thing or uh, SEO are great because there's people already actively looking for it. It's very middle of funnel. Conversion rates are typically higher. So that's going to be your best bet. If you are in a, let's say a wildly competitive space. So let's do like coffee or like apparel, right? Like very, very competitive. Or you have the other side of it, which is you've more or less invented something and it's something that no one really knows exists. So it requires a little bit more education that's better from a social media side because then you can present and educate the market with the differences of the product or how the product works if it's something completely new. So it kind of depends on the approach and who your target customer is. The nice thing about basically doing this process when you're an Amazon seller is if you're already running ads on Amazon, which if you're on Amazon nine times out of 10, you are, you've already got some keyword data. You know which PPC, like which keywords are, are working for you well. You might have some insights into who your customer base is. And from there, it could tell you a little bit so that when you start from an off Amazon perspective, you're not starting completely from scratch. But basically to kind of loop around and answer your question, it's going to depend on the product and the customer because that's going to depend on which channel you want to start on first. So, Andrew, one of the things that always comes up is people put up their website. So on their website, they have the product. And these days, people are very quick to jump on setting up a Shopify store. And then, you know, uh, I always say, don't. Because at the beginning, when you're launching, you have so many unknowns and so much money that you can spend. So instead, focus your efforts on Amazon. But use your website to provide the information about the product, any content or anything else, but drive them to your Amazon listing to complete the purchase. And especially now you have buy with Prime that makes it easier. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I don't entirely agree, uh, but you're, you're in the right direction. So I'm a big fan of diversifying. And when I say away from Amazon, I don't mean like don't use Amazon. I mean like something else, usually your website. The main reason I always say that is there's a bunch of studies out there. If you sold, uh, let's say you had an Amazon business doing two or $3 million annually, but it's just an FBA business. Someone who's going to acquire you, basically the asset that they're going to get 
you have the obvious, your profit, your product, your inventory, that kind of stuff. And then your process, right? Outside of that, they're not really getting much of anything else, right? And you're stuck with the seller central account. It is what it is. You you can't really expand the product line too much because you can't leverage your existing audience to like promote new products and things that you've got. If you have your own website, now you're adding in a lot more different audiences and you're expanding the buyer pool of who would be interesting and in, interested in acquiring you down the line. So now you've got an email list, you've got social media following, you've got uh, organic traffic coming in, like those people being pixeled. Obviously, you have a lot of different process and probably stronger profit margins from there as well. So when you go to exit an Amazon FBA business and you're, let's say, sub 10 million a year, you usually exit for about a two to four X EBITDA, right? If you actually have your own website and let's say you're doing the exact same amount, you're sub 10 million, you're going to exit most of the time for closer to a three to six X EBITDA because you've got significantly more assets to be able to leverage. However, it also opens up your buyer pool. If I'm an Amazon FBA seller, I'm probably going to get acquired by some aggregator out there and they're just going to you know, bring me in and it is what it is and then things are going to move on. If you've got your own brand, you've got your own audience, let's say you sell fishing gear, I could go and get acquired by another fishing company that wants to expand their product line, or I could get acquired by a hunting company or a camping company or someone who wants to leverage my existing data to benefit their also pre-existing business. So you really open up who could potentially acquire you and you can get a higher multiple. So I'm a big fan of diversifying. Outside of that, the main reason that I usually preach diversifying between agencies, I was in-house for a little while and I'd started somewhere uh, as a good size seller, eight figures in Amazon, uh, seven figures on their own website. And I was there, I started in August and the week before Black Friday, we, you know, ads were ramping up and you can only do so much with a credit card at that time. So you had to change out the credit card. Well, for whatever reason, Amazon thought that our new credit card was fraud. So it completely suspended the account and we were out for two weeks. And I knew like, this is literally like our peak. I had just started. I thought like, I just got this job. I'm going to be out of here like after two months. So luckily the person I was working with at the times, big in the Amazon space, they were able to get it resolved within a couple of weeks. It was just one of those stupid things where Amazon flagged it and it was what it was. But the thing that I realized was like, okay, we can't be so reliant on Amazon because it's a majority of our business. And if this were to happen again and we can't solve it fast enough, we're screwed. So I really like to find ways to diversify. Now, to your question on jumping into a website, I completely agree that you don't want to go straight to a website. I think there's there's a lot of different ways you can test the the off Amazon area before you jump into it. The biggest issue I find with Amazon sellers who jump into a website is that when you start selling on Amazon and let's say you get your listing in a really nice place, you start running ads, they have a massive pre-existing audience that is on Amazon to shop. When you open up your own website, you are in a whole different area. There's people that are actively shopping, but there's also people that are just searching stuff on the internet or there's people that are just playing around on social media. So you've got to find a way to manipulate that and fight through all of that. And so throwing up a website, grabbing a, a Shopify site and making it and just taking a template and putting it together and then being like, why is nothing converting? It's very obvious because you're not providing any kind of benefit to this person shopping on your website as opposed to them shopping on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So typically what my process is, say you just sell on Amazon and you want to explore off Amazon stuff. The first thing you want to do is just look at driving traffic directly to Amazon because the first thing you're going to try and figure out is the market that is off Amazon, are they willing to purchase my product? If they're willing to purchase your product, that will start to tell you you have a viable product that can do well off Amazon. A lot of people have an Amazon account. So you know, if you drive traffic from off Amazon to Amazon, there's a good chance they're going to convert. If you're doing social media, you're, let's say you're doing social ads, you can narrow that Facebook audience to be people that also have an interest in Facebook or something like that. But what I always say is clean up your storefront Focus on your sponsored brand ads and make and drive that traffic to your storefront. Make sure your storefront can convert with on Amazon traffic. 
As soon as you have that, you now know that your storefront can convert. And this is also assuming that you've got a decent sized product line where people are going to shop around a little bit. Once you've proven your storefront can convert, then you open up typically an advertising approach. So Google ads, Microsoft ads, some kind of social media ads, whatever that approach is. Use Amazon attribution, drive the traffic directly to the storefront first and see how it does. It may not convert as well as you want it to. Really, what we want to figure out is, will it convert? It, if profitably is obviously ideal or close to it, but I just want to know that it's possible. Then let's say you get the storefront to actually convert and you can see like, okay, this is doing well. What's our next step? I don't suggest jumping into a website. I usually say create a really nice, well-done landing page focused on maybe one, two, a bundle, something like that, like something a little bit more hyper-focused. Have the Amazon buy with Prime button if you're an FBA seller and focus on driving the traffic to that landing page and now see, can you get the audience to convert technically from off Amazon, but you're still leveraging the buy with Prime button so you can still have that added brand awareness of Amazon. And so that way you're now starting to tell like, okay, the product is viable to actually convert from an off Amazon perspective on this landing page. And we're not giving up on the Amazon business. I still got buy with Prime going. I still have that whole aspect going. Then focus on like CRO, adjust the landing page, get it to convert, convert profitably. Then after a while, obviously build up your off Amazon profit, take that and invest into a very nice, well done website. I never suggest half-assing a website because then you're just spending all this money driving traffic to something that doesn't convert. So it's a nice way to kind of baby step into each area and make sure that they're actually converting before you make this big investment into a whole new website. Because once you start doing that, then you're doing... Google and Facebook ads and, you know, TikTok and SEO and email marketing and normal social media and like all these other different things. And you want to make sure, especially if you're bootstrapping it, if you're funded, it's a different story. But if you're bootstrapping it, you want to go step by step and take your time and see like how viable is this before you make this massive investment and jump into a pool that you may not be able to swim in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, you, you, you're right. So, this is something that long time ago, when I started in e-commerce, it was the beginning of e-commerce. It was 1997. So there was uh, people who were afraid to put their credit card numbers on a website. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started. And those days, Amazon was just selling books. There was no nothing. So the point is, the challenge immediately was not even driving traffic. But it was getting the traffic to convert because you have this process of checkout and you have shopping cart abandonments. And then, you know, and the other thing that completely drags, I think, the, the e-commerce merchants down is this constant hunger by consumers for bells and whistles that they want to see. Because there's new stuff coming out all the time, right? So they, they expect you to implement them on your website. So this becomes a huge deal. So that's why it's a challenge as a new seller. Mm -hmm. I, I say that, in fact, I, I wrote a little article about uh, e-commerce challenge. And it starts with the immediate challenge. It's front-loaded. You have to build a website. It's not going to be cheap because it comes with moving parts where you have to have a backhand, blah, blah, credit card, inventory, all package deal, it's front-loaded. So front-loaded expense, number one. You're not gonna see a penny while spending that money. <laughs> number two is drive traffic. So that's gonna take the pockets because you can't just do it with small amount of money, you have to spend a reasonable amount of money to build up critical mass to, to get an idea about what's working. Then comes the third step, which is the checkout. How is it converting? Is your conversion poor because your checkout process is not working right? Or is it poor because your traffic is not qualified traffic? You don't know, right? So now... 
let's assume that you have endless amount of cash and that you are some kind of a genius with God knows how many geniuses around you as your team that do all this within a day. Let's assume. It's not happening, but let's assume that. Yeah. What is the best case scenario? You're going to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of orders. Now you ask yourself, do you really want to be in a pick-pack ship operation? I mean, is this really what you want to do? Or you want to make sense? So this is your best case scenario if you have endless amount of cash and all the talent around you that will deliver exactly qualified traffic, enough of it, that converts at a high rate. Yeah. <laughs> then you've got a different problem in your hands. So that's why I say right from the get-go, do not even think about it. Just go on Amazon, build your brand, learn the discipline, develop the discipline to run an online business, to work with metrics and, and, and data and all that stuff while focusing on one thing and one thing only, that you drive business to your listings and make sure you have enough inventory. Once you get a good idea, then you can open up. So that's that's my approach. And at the beginning, however, uh, leveraging the website, definitely I say put up a website, make it information, just like you suggested, I say landing page and put a landing page. So that way, at least you're going to eliminate some of the people who are not ready to buy yet. Mm -hmm. So they, you don't drive them to your... But what I find interesting that you suggested, that I've never heard this from anybody else. So you prefer to drive traffic to the Amazon storefront, right? By using sponsored brands. Yeah. So in the beginning, sponsor brands just to test the storefront and make sure it can convert, right? Like you can set up a storefront for them to be able to purchase directly, or, you know, they can click over the listing, check it out. It'll still count as a storefront conversion. Like you, you can track that kind of stuff. That just tells you that the storefront can convert. The nice thing about that too, is that if your storefront can convert, you can prove out that that's going to happen. When you build out your website, it's going to be very similar to a storefront. Storefronts are wildly limited comparative to a website, but the way it's structured, what you're showcasing on the homepage versus your category pages, all that stuff, like that structure is going to be very similar to what you do with your website. So it's an easy way to start to test the battlegrounds. Now, there's we step into this area of, you know, a lot of people that worry about driving traffic directly to a listing. And if it's going to give me a ton of traffic, but it doesn't convert as well, is that going right. to hurt me? Right. That's a very common right. worry. The storefront, that doesn't happen. If they come to the storefront and then they see an interested product, they're going to click over to that product. If they clicked on the product, they're already highly intended to actually purchase. So your conversion rate is not going to have an effect. What I do suggest doing from an off Amazon approach when you're going straight to a listing, A, it always, always depends on the product line, right? Like if you sell one thing, there's not really a point in sending them to a storefront. You might as well just send them straight to the listing. But what you can also focus on is an SEO approach. It's one of the main areas I still find a lot of Amazon sellers not doing, which is focusing on SEO from an off Amazon perspective. So when you're doing a listing optimization, right? You're using your Helium 10s and your data dots and you're pulling all this data together and you're writing this perfect copy and doing all this fun stuff. And you never stop to think, you're always focused on the Amazon algorithm. You never stop to think that it's also indexable on Google. So whatever you do is also going to show up on Google. Your listing can still show up as a Google listing. So what we'll do sometimes is we'll take, you know, our Helium 10, our data dive, Jungle Scout if we're using that one. And then like, We'll look at like we're SEMrush partners and HRS partners and we'll merge all that stuff together and actually also cater to the massive search engines out there. Because what will happen is if I can get my product to also rank well on Google, I'm going to get a lot of organic traffic from Google and it's high intent. It's, they're searching the same terms. I just want to make sure that I'm showing up there. So from an off Amazon perspective, I'm still going to cater to the Amazon algorithm, but there's some things that Amazon does an index that Google does. So I want to make sure that that's in a good spot. However, the other thing that you want to do, which I am always shocked that sellers don't do is 
you can still focus on a backlinking strategy. You can still focus on a content creation strategy. We've worked with sellers before where they don't have the ability to purchase on their own website, but they have a very robust blog where they write a lot of content that's specific about their product line. And all of the links that go to products are backlinks to their own products. They're using Amazon attribution so they can track the backlinks and see what kind of sales they're getting. But they're getting the SEO benefit of that domain authority of the blog that they've created. And then they work with other blogs and you know other media publications to get backlinks. If they've got a high domain authority, it'll improve the page authority of your listing. So for some of your listeners, if they don't, or if they aren't familiar with the SEO side, a domain has a domain authority, right? It's one out of a hundred, like SEO company has their own, like Moz has one and SEMrush has one and all that stuff, but it's all typically one out of a hundred. But then you also have a page authority. So you have the ranking of the full website, but then you have the ranking of each individual page. Obviously, Amazon is like the top, like Facebook, Google, Amazon are like the top domain authorities. But when you launch a new product, your page authority is just like any other page, but it can grow a lot quicker than any other page because you have the added benefit of the Amazon domain authority. So if you actually focus on getting backlinks to your product listing from off Amazon, you'll actually start to get a better page authority. So when people Google your product, your Amazon listing might start showing up first. And if they click on that, it's just as if they were searching on Amazon, they were intended to find a product, they found a product, there's a good chance they're going to purchase it. So you can actually start to see traffic that you're sending directly to Amazon be ju convert just as well. It's the advertising side where you want to be, uh, you want to tread a little lightly. You don't want to run like social ads are notorious for it because the issue with social ads with driving traffic directly to a listing, which it can be done. But the problem is, is because Amazon doesn't talk to Facebook, although I think they just released something that they're going to start doing that now, which I don't know enough about it yet, but it's out there. So someone should look into it. But uh, as of right now, Facebook and Amazon don't talk to each other. So you don't know if someone converted if you're running a Facebook ad. So the only thing you can do is have Facebook focus on maximizing link clicks, which really means you're telling Facebook, like drive as much traffic to this listing as possible. And sometimes that can hurt you. There's theories on, you know, even though you've got a lot of traffic and you have a lot of engagement, if they're not converting, it hurts your organic ranking. The nice thing is, is like, hey, you can run that for like a month and then find out if it's hurting your organic ranking and then you turn it off. Search ads, I find to be different. Search ads, it's very specific keywords, very specific after what they're going after. It's no different than you if you're to do sponsored products or something like that. That I think you're usually in a good spot. But if your product requires a lot of education or differentiation because you're in a competitive space, you're usually better off with social ads. But it's a real push and pull on is it going to hurt your ranking or not? Why can't you use the attribution tags for Facebook ads? You can't and you should. But the thing yeah. is, is that like, so when you run Facebook ads, you have to select a conversion tracking goal, right? So purchase, yeah. uh, landing page views, link clicks, sometimes it's just video views, like that kind of thing. Amazon doesn't tell Facebook that, hey, that click converted, right? You have to go into Amazon and you can see how your list, how your ads are doing. But outside of that, the Facebook only thing enough. Facebook thinks, I just need to get you as many link clicks as possible. Yeah, and so that yeah. means it's going to drive a ton of traffic, which some theorize can hurt your listing. As you know, Amazon often loses inventory or overcharges fees. With Arty, you can now recover up to 30% of your lost revenue at a monthly flat rate of only $99 with no commission fees for unlimited reimbursements, you can increase your bottom line. Their automated Amazon compliant process ensures hassle-free refunds. Visit www.getarty.com forward slash legends and sign up today to get one month free and discover your recovery potential. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I understand now. So uh, for those listening who are not familiar, as long as you are brand registered, there is something called attribution tags, where you will find that in uh, advertising. Your if you go to advertising and in your campaign area, there is something called Amazon attribution, 
So it's on on the left hand side in the menu where you have icons. So it's one of them is Amazon attribution. So I would highly recommend get using those. So what that means is you create a unique tag for wherever you are driving traffic from. So if it's a Facebook ad, your email marketing, your own website, build those tags into those links, linking you back to your listing. So that way you can go into Amazon campaign reporting area. You can see how much sales were generated from each traffic source. Now, before you do that, go sign up for brand referral bonus program because when you do that and then you couple it with, and it's free to join, you will be immediately accepted and you use the attribution tags, you get 10% of the revenue, gross revenue you generate from external traffic back credited into your uh, settlement deposit that comes out every uh, every other week. So that's the little technical information, so to speak. Um, so as far as running social media, Facebook optimizes itself the, the algorithm optimizes itself based on the results it's getting. But if Facebook is not able to get the data from Amazon that the traffic that they sent converted, then they're not going to know. So therefore, it's not going to... So, so you say that there is something new about the two systems talking to each other, right? Yeah, my team just found it today. Um, or not today, Uh I want to say it was late last week, but Amazon and Facebook announced that they're working together on something. I haven't dug into it yet, but it looked to me like they're going to start to have some integration where Amazon can tell Facebook that something converted so that it can optimize for conversions as opposed to just link clicks. I've done some work with Amazon on some beta stuff where it doesn't surprise me that that relationship is happening. Um, right. But it's a, it's a very interesting, like I, you know, buy with prime, buy with prime integrates with Facebook. So if you drive traffic to your website and you have a buy with prime button and someone uses buy with prime, Facebook will know. But if you drive it directly to Amazon, Facebook won't know. So for the fact that Amazon worked with buy with prime to allow that integration, it doesn't really shock me that they're trying to find just a direct straight to Amazon option. But as of right now, it's not a thing. And so the problem is, is that you end up driving a lot of traffic that might not be as qualified as you want it to be. Cool. cool. Okay. So Andrew, you shared, uh, I mean, our conversation started really low key, but you shared a lot of very valuable tips. So first of all, <laughs> thanks. Uh, you, I mean, the, 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 what you and I both agree on is at the beginning, if you're just launching, don't bother with the website. At most, put up a, an informational website. At the very yeah. beginning, uh, focus on Amazon, right? Yeah. So the only thing that I would, I would say I disagree with there is, again, depends on the product and the product line, right? And who you're targeting. Like if you're starting a coffee brand, right? That's an incredibly crowded space. It's a CPG space. No one wants to be the first one to try a food. So that's a nightmare too. Like it's not easy. So you really need to build a brand and an audience and like an identity. That is very, very hard, if not impossible to do on Amazon successfully, because then you're just running ads on terms like coffee. And it's like, you're never going to win on that. Yeah, yeah. So there are products like apparel and and coffee and you know drinks of really any kind like any CPG stuff like it's really hard to do that on Amazon solely. All the CPG brands I've worked with that have done really well, we focused on an off Amazon approach first. Then what we would do is we would monitor like Helium 10 and uh Data Dive Jungle Scout all that stuff and once we started to see people were searching for their brand name, then we knew like okay Let's take the top sellers and put them on Amazon. Like all the really big brands out there that have a stronger focus from an off Amazon perspective, they really use Amazon as a customer acquisition channel and less of a revenue driver because the profit margins are, are really tough and they just keep getting worse. So the bigger brands actually look at it in the reverse where they use Amazon to just be where their customer is 
or try to acquire new ones and incentivize them to come back to their website. With people who are existing on Amazon that eventually go over to their website, they tend to still see a majority of their sales on Amazon because that's where their main focus is. But if you actually took your Amazon profit and really invested heavily into an off Amazon approach, you can then really pivot things where all of a sudden Amazon is your acquisition channel and your website is where you focus. Because if you can build a list and you know a social media following and you can pixel all these people, it's fantastic because your margins on your website are so much better. And when you launch new products, it's significantly easier. You just shoot out an email and let people know you have a nice little product launch yeah. strategy. Whereas on Amazon, it's like starting a whole business over again. So it's it's up and down with that. I have a question for my listeners. Are you experiencing cash flow challenges with your Amazon business? Well, silly question. Who is not, right? So let me introduce you to Viably, a unique solution tailored for Amazon sellers and e-commerce enterprises. By connecting your Seller Central or Shopify account, you can promptly access funding along with a variety of financial tools, all for a flat fee. It's as simple as that. And for my listeners, they are offering an extra $1,500 in funding for eligible applications. Start your quick and easy application today at runviably.com forward slash legends. And that's runviably.com forward slash legends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you were talking in, in for that scenario where you are in a heavy competition space, then... I would say don't launch on Amazon first. Uh, you know, launch on on your website. Create some kind of awareness. Build a following. Have a mailing list so that you have an idea about who you can drive to your Amazon listing when you are ready. So that would make yeah. a lot more sense. So the other thing that I've never heard anybody else mention is drive traffic through sponsored brands to test how your storefront is converting. So mm -hmm. drive traffic to your Amazon storefront through Amazon sponsored brands to get a sense of how your storefront is working. And then once you have satisfactory numbers, drive external traffic to your storefront, which won't hurt your conversion rate. And at the same time, you have an idea how the storefront behaves and then the only variable there is the quality of the external traffic that you are sending. And you can kind of tweak that according to your performance. I've never heard that, frankly, myself. So it's a very good tip. And then the other one is, to me, it's key, is use a landing page. Don't drive external traffic direct to your listing. Instead, drive it to your website, a landing page where you have some kind of an incentive or, or uh, and also buy with Prime. Yeah. You have the Amazon endorsement there so that people know they'll be completing their purchase at, on Amazon. So uh, no surprises. And then anybody who is not ready to buy, they won't click. So therefore, you won't hurt your conversion. So it's quite a few tips. So let's talk about measuring. So... Give us your take on what are some best practices to measure how your external traffic is working for you. What is success? What does it look like? My personal preference is not necessary. I know a lot of listeners hate hearing this, but it's not necessarily to focus on profitability as much as it is to focus on proving that there is a viable market off Amazon. Because storefronts, it is Amazon's way of like letting sellers start to build their own, you know, sort of website kind of thing. And, you know, they can help, but they're wildly limited. There's, you know, there's only so much you can do on a storefront. So driving the traffic to the storefront to see if it can convert, I want to see it convert and I want to see it convert at a tolerable clip. Because the other thing I need to factor in is once I move away from Amazon, my product margins are better. So if I'm converting on my storefront, but the profitability is not as good as I want it to be, I can also factor in be like, well, once I move this to a website, 
I actually gain a pretty good amount of product margin. So let's let's assume that I'm off my website or off Amazon already. What does my ROI actually look like then? That's when it gets interesting because I can go, okay, technically right now it's not a great ROI, but as soon as I make this jump, it should actually improve. So you, as long as you keep some kind of Amazon branding aspect when you do your landing page or when you do a website, like Bribe Prime works really well or... Before Buy With Prime existed, I used to make buttons. I would make a button directly under the add to cart that would say available on Amazon. Once Amazon attribution came out, I would use that. But otherwise, I would just let people click and go straight to the listing. And the reason I used to do that is I would watch my wife shop and she would go to someone's website, see what they had. And if they didn't have a lot of reviews or she wasn't familiar with the brand or if she wanted it sooner, she would just go to Amazon to see if it's available. And I go, when you do that, you're pulling up your Amazon app. And you're just searching for this type of product, which now this brand is just surrounded by competitors. So my thought was like, okay, what if I skip over that part and I make your life easier and we add a button here where you can just go straight to their listing. And when we started to do that, I saw a lot of people would just be like, oh, I'm just going to go straight to Amazon and get it there. Now, the people who sell off Amazon, they hate that idea because they don't like that they're giving a product margin. My theory is you take a page out of Amazon and Google's book, which is basically do what is best for the consumer, provide the best experience possible. I like to provide it as an option, provided that I also have the different incentives on my website to keep them on the website. Their first purchase might be on Amazon, and and that's because that user was more comfortable doing that. But if I let them come to my website and then go to Amazon and I have my natural like customer acquisition aspects in place, they're most likely going to come back to my website next time and try to like get some kind of like 10% off your first order or something like that where they can benefit from it now that they're more comfortable with the brand. So I find it as a nice stepping stone for them. So measuring it is really depends on all the stuff that you put in place. You can obviously track stuff through Amazon attribution. The back end of Amazon storefronts have a lot of different uh, uh, data points you can look at and review those things. It kind of depends on what page on your storefront you're driving it to and then where they're converting. Like, There's different ways that you have to monitor the actual funnel of how people are converting. But to kind of loop that back around, like really what I try to look at is, are we converting at a decent rate because then once I move them to my own website, not only are my product margins better, but I have much more control. I can manipulate my landing page to, you know, I can do CRO testing and A-B test copy and imagery and structure and, and pricing and all that fun stuff so that I can really try to get to the conversion rate and the profit margin that I want. So when I'm sending them to Amazon in a storefront, it's really more to just to prove that the off Amazon uh, market is viable as opposed to just trying to be profitable right off the bat because it's very rare that that happens. Yeah. Okay. So what you are really, what I heard you, again, is something I haven't heard this perspective before. Um, and I, I like the perspective very much. What you are saying is take a look at how much you spent in driving external traffic to your Amazon storefront or listing mm -hmm. as a percentage of your total sales. Yeah. Let's say it's X percent. Then you already know how much you pay Amazon, you know, the 15% Amazon commission plus the FBA, whatever percentage it adds up to, blah, blah, blah. And look at that picture. And then imagine Amazon is not there. That's what you are monitoring all the time. Pretty much, right? yeah. As soon as that picture looks attractive, now you can simply switch from driving traffic to Amazon to driving into your website. Mm -hmm. And on the website, you can still do buy with Prime. That means that you just do the fulfillment through Amazon. You just don't pay the 15% commission, right? Yeah. And look, there's a lot of nuances into it because the other thing to think about is like, all right, well, once we're also basing this off of sending them to a storefront or to a listing, then your next thing you want to do is your landing page. You can add in a little extra, you know, kind of bells and whistles here. But once you move into your own website, 
you can upsell to other products you have. You can cross-sell with additional products. You can have, maybe you have a subscription program and now you're looking at LTV of clients or of customers. So like it's, it it can vary drastically and it kind of comes down to each individual business and every business owner on what their goals are. But if you can get it to a point where you're even close to like a, let's even, let's just even say worst case scenario, you're at a break even once you're off Amazon. To me, that's great because you're only going to improve. The more reviews you get off Amazon, the more social media presence you have, the larger your email list, your conversion rate will improve and improve and improve over time. Especially if you're doing some CRO work, it will consistently improve. You'll expand your product line and then you can cross sell. So it's only going to improve. It's really just, to me, it's just about proving the viability of the off Amazon side. Now, I'll also flip it. We work with some people that have no desire to go off Amazon at all, but they want to do everything and anything they can for their Amazon business, which also includes doing off Amazon stuff. So at that point, I don't care where my profit margins land for an off Amazon side because they have no desire to do it ever. So at that point, now it's more like, okay, what can I do that's a lot more middle of funnel that I know is going to work really well? So sometimes with like social media ads, you can do some different things where you can do like, let's say you have a product video that's really interesting, but you know that if you drive a ton of traffic to Amazon with that video, it's just going to get a lot of clicks. It's not going to do well. You can actually on Facebook, you can retarget people that viewed a video. So sometimes we'll run an ad, just target video views with no CTA. I don't want them to go anywhere. I just want to watch the video. Then what I'll do is if it's like a minute long video, I'll retarget people that watched like 90% of the video. So I know they were pretty highly interested. And those are the ones I will send to Amazon with some kind of incentive. I'll do an Amazon attribution to track it. So at least I've honed that audience in a little bit. Search engine marketing, very, very different. That's a lot easier because it's very specific keywords. You go after what you go after. It is what it is. They're looking for it. So they're going to convert. The SEO side is beneficial regardless because it's the same concept as Amazon. If I can rank for some of my top turns on Google, I'm going to get a ton of traffic to the site at just as if I was paid, if, just as if I was in uh, position one on Amazon. I want to try and be position one on Google for certain terms. That could mean content creation. It could mean just backlinking strategies. There's a ton of different ways to do that. So those are other ways where if you're not looking to diversify from Amazon, you can still really benefit your Amazon business from just focusing a little bit from an off Amazon approach. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit uh, about influencers, using influencers. Because mm-hmm. That's also external traffic, right? So, and and if you get the right influencer, you really can get a lot of traffic very quickly. So, um Tell us some best practices, things to watch out for, and and how to best use influencers. So there's two different ways, at least from an Amazon perspective, you can use influencers. You have your normal way, right? Just like any other influencer marketing agency. Like when we work with influencers, if we already work with them, we're finding influencers that are relevant for the brand, starting conversations with them. Sometimes we'll do what's called seeding, which is just sending them free product in exchange for them to post about it. Uh, maybe we hook them up with an affiliate program or something. But when you do it through Amazon, you can't really do an affiliate program. So what you can incentivize them to do or even just point them in the right direction is to go through creator connections. So creator connections is Amazon's own influencer marketing aspect, right? It operates a little bit more like an affiliate program where basically you create a quote unquote like campaign and you set a budget And so let's say your budget is $5,000 and you're giving influencers 5% uh, commission for selling stuff. Basically, once you have paid $5,000 in commissions, then your campaign ends, right? So like this time of year, we'll do stuff where we'll incentivize them with a higher commission, or maybe we'll focus on products that are a little bit more gift related, like something along those lines. So if you focus on the creator connection side, you're a little bit limited the influencers are going to want free products that they have something to post about, but then they'll go and post it and, you know, you can approve them. They can join the campaign. They'll post about it. And then people go to the influencer specific store that they build out on Amazon and they convert on there. Working with influencers that aren't on creator connections, it's a very similar issue to Facebook where you can't really track what's working and what's not. 
you could in theory, you know, give them their own kind of promo code and, and try to do it that way, but it's still a little tough. So really with an influencer side, I like creator connections if I'm sending them directly to Amazon. But in some cases, if you've got buy with prime, I really like doing it that way because buy with prime, you can create your own custom coupon code that isn't attached to, let's say you're on Shopify. So I can go to an influencer that's not on creator connections and say, Hey, here's a coupon code just for you and for your audience. They only can use it on our buy with prime. In which case, if they've got a bunch of inventory sitting at FBA, they want to get rid of or something like that. I can incentivize them to spend it and get the inventory out. But to improve the listing in itself, either you want to use something like Creator Connections or you want to try to put something together with an influencer you can just send straight to the Amazon listing. I'm not a big fan of paying influencers. I know if there's some listening right now, they probably don't like hearing that. Um, I do think that to send an influencer a product and to ask them to try it and then then decide if they want to post about it or something like that is a fair thing to ask because I also don't want you promoting my product if you don't like it. It's going to be very obvious and you're not going to want to do it very often. It's not going to go as well as I want. I'm more of a fan of let me send you a free product. If you like it, go ahead and post about it. If you post about it and I see it did well, I will absolutely work with you again and I will absolutely discuss paying you either a commission or a, a flat fee. But I think the first time seeding an influencer and testing out the relationship is great. Plus, typically your micro influencers, which tend to be like 10 to 20,000 followers or less, they get a lot more engagement anyway. So you're if they're going to work, they're going to work just seeding them. And then you can look at expanding and giving a commission and all that. So I had some conversations about using influencers. So the biggest danger with influencers, if you do well in terms of the exposure they'll get you, and that you get them to drive traffic direct to your listing, mm -hmm. that's going to hurt your conversion if they are not converting. So that's the, the biggest challenge. Of course, everybody wants to drive traffic to the listing because that's where they, the sale will take place. So getting an influencer to do that. So what I heard as an idea from uh, one of the guests, I, I believe, they said, do not get influencers drive traffic by using attribution tags. Instead, get them to use, get them to, if they are not already an Amazon affiliate, get them to become an Amazon affiliate. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then drive traffic through Amazon affiliate program there by using their Amazon affiliate links, which does not go towards your conversion. So if that traffic does not convert, it doesn't hurt you. But at the same time, you can give them a promo code that is specific to them where they can mm -hmm. promote in their advertising, whatever, and say, use this to get discounts. So that way the customer benefits, you don't get hurt if the traffic doesn't convert at the same time, they earn something. So everybody is happy. What yeah. do you think about that practice? I mean, it makes, it makes sense. I don't know about if you set them up as an affiliate and they go through their affiliate link, they're still landing on the listing. I know the URL changes and all that fun stuff, but they're still landing on the listing at the end of the day. So I would think that if you drove a bunch of traffic from an influencer, it could in theory still affect your listing ranking. The only thing though, that to completely caveat that and the stuff I said too, is like when you do, when you work with an influencer, it's a real quick, big boost in traffic and then it dies. So for it to have a prolonged effect on your listing is, is incredibly unlikely. It's not going to be like, you know, Oh, you got one day, you got a huge jump in traffic and, and they didn't convert as well as Amazon wanted them to. So they tank you Typically, it's like, hey, your conversion rate has been down for, you know, seven, 14 days. And so your ranking starts to fall. But if you get a big influx in traffic and then it doesn't convert as well, I find it hard to believe that Amazon would really ding you that hard from a from an organic perspective. I would think that Amazon would just see like sometimes one off things happen. Sometimes you get hit by a bot or something and then Amazon factors that in. Like there's a lot of stuff that can happen. 
So like it, it's the big difference that I always find is that there's there's clear people that are Amazon sellers and then there's clear people that are off Amazon sellers and then there's clear people that do both. And the people that are strictly Amazon sellers, they get really, really deep in like the data and in the weeds and they're nitpicking every little tiny thing. When in reality, it to me, it's just unneeded stress because what I always, it was the same thing that I realized with listings years ago, right? Like listings, people used to load them up with emojis and capital letters and use every word and they could find in the dictionary and just throw it all in there. And then one day I was like, well, what if we took a different approach to this? What if we did this where, yes, I'm going to do the keyword research, obviously, but let's just write to the consumer. Because when I land on a listing, if it's got capital letters and each bullet point is a paragraph, I'm not reading any of that. So let's make it a lot easier for the consumer to read and digest. And then all of a sudden, conversion rates skyrocketed. No, I didn't have every single word on the dictionary listed on in my listing, but I was provi- I was basically providing the best experience I could to the consumer. I was ignoring the Amazon algorithm and I was focusing on my customer. And that's the exact same concept. So digging in real deep to the data of like, you know, is this is working with an influencer going to all of a sudden spike my, you know, uh, uh, listing and then my ranking's going to fall and my whole business is going to fall apart and my wife's going to leave me and I'm going to die. Like, it, it's like, okay, no, relax. You're going to be just fine. If your ranking comes down a little bit, you stop doing stuff with that influencer because they drove a bunch of traffic that didn't convert very well. Or you could drive a ton of traffic and they could convert fantastically and your listing could skyrocket. So sometimes like, you know, you test, you A-B test everything, you take the risk. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then you don't do it. Yeah, I think what you just said uh, with the test, always test, right? Always uh, always be testing. Exactly. You can always stop doing stuff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly they uh, they call it the uh, uh stop pause play in other words whatever is working keep playing whatever is not working stop and then whatever is not certain you can always pause exactly you always come back to it all right great so a lot of good tips uh thank you so uh, now we come to you we get to know you a little bit. Uh, so we heard already about uh, your interest in music and being a drummer and everything. <laughs> but what I want to yeah. know is your early life experiences, because that's always interesting. So tell us, where did you grow up? And uh, as a kid, what were your interests? Um. Ooh, so I grew up in South Florida in uh Boca Raton, so outside Fort Lauderdale. Uh I lived there until oof, my early 20s, I think. And then I moved to uh Orlando because I went to school in Central Florida. And then I moved to North Jersey. The wife had gotten a job in New York City, so we were kind of counter-commuting. And then I moved where I am now to outside Philadelphia, out in the suburbs, about I think four years ago at this point. Um, as a kid, I always knew I wanted to get into marketing and commercials. I don't know why they're not very exciting. I think that's why I wanted to get into them in the family in marketing. Anybody? No, no, actually. So my, my dad's an entrepreneur. He's owned businesses. He's run businesses. He's sold businesses. So I'm sure I got that from him. Um, but nothing on the marketing side. No one in my family is, is in the marketing side for the most part. Um, it was, I don't know why I wanted to get into it. I think because commercials were always horrible. Like I always thought they were so bad. Like when you see a really bad commercial, I'm always like, there was a group of guys who sat around a table and said, this is it. Let's, let's, let's pay to publish this. And I'm like, why? This is horrible. So I think I, maybe I wanted to rid the world of that. (laughs) As a kid, you were watching commercials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. People don't like, uh, I mean, even your, your parents, cared for commercials they encourage you to watch no no not at all it just was interesting to me i'm a big sports guy obviously a big football fan here in the states like super bowl i love the commercials like that's i look forward to watching the commercials of like okay these are multi multi multi-million dollar placements 
what did you spend your money on? And then I get to watch it and I go, that was horrible. Like, why would you do that? I have a question for you, Andrew. In the commercial, what is it that that uh, appeals to you, that attracts you? Is it the, 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 the capability to influence somebody's decision? Or is it the product? Is it the production of the commercial? It's more around like the psychology of it. Of like, why do I remember certain commercials as a kid? Why do I not remember others? Why do certain like aspects of commercials become like comical things to make fun of over the course of the next few months? Like the goal of a commercial or really anything in marketing isn't necessarily to get you to like the product and to want to go purchase it. My goal is to get you to remember the product. So when the time comes, you actually go and purchase it. The difference with digital marketing is like, it's also a mix of that and like right place, right time sort of thing. But that's where you adjust your messaging, right? Like you watch a commercial, its messaging is very different from the messaging if you were in a store about to buy the product. So it's two different things. And the commercials I always thought was interesting was like, why do I remember this one? Was this entertaining? Was this, I know that they're selling a product. I know that it's obvious. It's a commercial. I was watching this show. Now I'm obviously watching this 30 second thing. I know it's a commercial. What are you going to do to capture my attention and make me interested in the product? And so when I would watch a commercial that I thought was just like, I am your target demographic and that was horrible is where I'm always like, okay, I can do better than that. And so I thought it was always interesting and I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was mostly from the psychology side of like, how is it working where you can convince people to do things, but also get them to remember it as time goes on. So, you know, this is a, this is a very interesting thing, mainly because it kind of ties ties back to the, the the original question is marketing uh, an art or a science so uh, because you know in the old days the answer was art of course yeah so today it's no longer just art it's art and science yeah. so <laughs> it they, they came together because of the online aspect of it but you know right in the foundation of it lies psychology because it's all about psychology with everything subliminal messages and uh, connecting with people's emotions and things like that it's all about psychology so uh, so as a kid you were interested in psychology i mean you could have become a therapist <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's definitely like even today even in digital like you know it it is nice that there's a, a lot of science behind it there is reasoning behind what you're doing like back back in the day you know you watched like old mad men shows like it was really about it was about conveying a message and getting the consumer to feel a certain way based on the way that that consumer was feeling at the time right like your target demographic of let's say uh women 25 to 45 when they're out shopping versus women 25 to 45 who are excuse me to be crass like burying their father they're feeling yeah. very different so yeah. you're not going to market their t-shirts the same way you're going to market like caskets like it's way different so you've got to factor in not only who is your consumer but how are they feeling at the time or how do you want them to feel when they come across your product so even this still cor correlates to Amazon stuff. Yeah, you could do all the keyword research you want in the world. But at the end of the day, if you're not saying the message correctly, you're not showing the correct imagery and, and kind of allowing the consumer to place themselves in certain areas, then it's just not going to convert as well as you want. It's something we butt heads with with Amazon sellers all the time. Because as I mentioned, Amazon sellers are very, very data driven. You know, Helium 10, Data Dive, Jungle Scout, they say this. So it's got to get written this way. You didn't use this word, this call out, and this image is this, blah, blah, blah. This person looks like this. I'm like, okay, you've got to take a big step out of the science for a second and understand who you're speaking to and the, the emotions they're feeling at the time and how I want them to feel when they go to purchase. And there's no real way to measure that. It's really a feeling. And that's the art side of marketing that getting the science and the art to work together is where some of the best marketers do their jobs. Yeah. 
Where do you think your interest as a kid came from in this, you know, marketing and psychology and I was always interested in like, why do people do what they do? Like why, like I, you know, you take it from a micro level. I would see some guy doing something as a kid and I'd be like, I, why would this guy do this? Why would he do that? You can go really negative and be like, okay, there was a mass murderer. Like, why would he do that? But then you can go the other way of like, this guy gave away all of his money to someone because he just didn't want it. Like, why would he do that? Like I was always really interested in why people did what they did. Then I got interested as well in uh, in college. I got more into the sociology side, which was like how groups of people would change their the way that they would act based on where they were. New Yorkers versus people who live in L.A. act very, very differently, but they're all relatively the same person. But then they move and all of a sudden they start changing the way they are. And it's from, you know, it's a societal thing. It's like a, a it's a, the sociology of it. It's your surroundings like it's just still what interests me in marketing is like, yeah, I know who my customer is, but how are they feeling at the time? Then where are they? I, I'm talking to people on Facebook very differently than I'm talking to them on TikTok. Same person. It could be uh, males 25 to 55. And if I'm talking to them on Facebook and I'm talking to them on TikTok, my messaging is very, very different because of where they're at at the time. And so there's aspects of that that you have to factor in when you're doing marketing. You can't just spread the same message everywhere because it doesn't work that way. You've got to follow a brand voice so that you still stay connected to the brand and its goals. But at the end of the day, you still have to know where your customer is and how they're feeling. So it's a push and pull all the time. Yeah. Exhausting. (laughs) I find it interesting. As a kid, you became interested in that because usually kids are more interested in toys and games and playing and yeah, I mean, I play a lot of sports and stuff, but and obviously I was a musician, but for some reason I knew I wanted to get into advertising as early as like eleven that I can remember. Uh, that's cool. Well, you're doing a great job, and you obviously have intimate understanding. So tell us how can people reach you? Share your contact information. However you want. All my social media is at Andrew Math. All of uh, our company's social media is at Blue Tusker. Uh, and then my email's at Andrew at Blue Tusker. And we're on LinkedIn. And then there's BlueTusker.com and all that fun stuff. And my own podcast, I do the e-com show. Uh, I'm on there. Wherever you want. Great. I'm sure you'll hear from people. We'll put your contact information together with the episode info so people will be able to reach you. Thank you, Andrew. This was a great conversation. And um, and thanks for everything. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Before you go, make sure to sign up with Arti and claim your lost revenue. Visit www.getarti.com forward slash legends to register. You will get one month free and experience Arti's features. Sign up now at www.getarti.com forward slash legends also say goodbye to your cash flow problems and claim your extra fifteen hundred dollars when you qualify for twenty five thousand dollars or more in funding go to www.runviably.com forward slash legends and start your application today thank you and This brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you in the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode, and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.